Hey, uh, I'm excited about today. I'm going to pray for us. Um, this is one of those sermons that I apologize in advance. I might get a little yelly. Sometimes I get yelly. That's all right. Uh, but I'm just going to pray over us. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you did on the cross that you overcame everything that we face in this world. Lord, today, as we uh, get into your word, as we go deep into your word, I pray that there would be conviction that needs to happen if there's conviction that needs to happen. But with conviction doesn't come shame when it's with you. Rather, encouragement happens. And so I pray right now for uh, each person that hears this sermon, Lord, that where you need to convict, you would convict. Where you need to encourage, you need to encourage. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There are few things uh, in this or more time, few times in your life that you feel more lost than on a first day of a new job. Does anybody ever feel that? Or like the first week of a new job, right? You feel completely lost, and you're like, I don't know what is going on. Uh, I grew up in Indiana, and I, uh, one of my first jobs, when you're in Indiana, you work for a lot of farmers. And my, one of my first jobs was I worked at a Christmas tree farm. I don't know if you've ever seen a Christmas tree farm. You probably think that the trees just kind of come perfectly shaped. They grow perfectly natural in a triangle, but you have to shape them a little bit. And so I show up, and there's this, this farmer, this old dude, and he's going to show me how to cut a Christmas tree. Throw up this video. This is how they cut Christmas trees. Very few people know this. This, my, this is not my farmer, but he pulls out two machetes and starts just hacking on this tree. No protective gear whatsoever. And he shapes it perfectly like this right here, boom, on top, and he's going to move on to the next one. And he's showing me how to do this. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, there is no way that I will ever be able to cut a Christmas tree like that. No instructions. He just goes on from one tree to the next tree. And that's how they shape Christmas trees, little known fact. I was, just so you know, I worked three years at the Christmas tree farm. I was, I was able to use one machete, and I wore leather chaps and ankle guards because I, would, <laughs> I hit my shins so many times that they would be uh, bloody if they were not. But it's amazing. The first day of the job, starting a new job is tough, right? You don't know what to expect. You don't know what to do. You feel completely backwards. I feel completely backwards most days, but you feel completely backwards. And then this starts happening. Self-doubt starts happening in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, there's no way that I'm ever going to do this. There's no way that I'm ever going to be able to get this turned around. And, and last week, Marty talked about the disciples getting called to follow Jesus. Mark 1, 16-20, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were what? They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. So according to Mark's gospel, we see this. We have the first four disciples. We have Simon, later called Peter. We have his brother Andrew, James, and John. And Marty talked about this. The call to follow Jesus is really this. This call to learn how to, to love God and love others, right? That's the call. It, it says this one line has a deep significance. You are fisher of men. I'm going to make you fishers of people. And so as we continue this series called The Way of Jesus, we take a look at the steps and the life and the practices and the sayings of Jesus in the book of Mark. And these four are going to jump 
straight in. These four are going to jump straight in, and they're going to experience Jesus like full on, okay? We, we're going to see this. And as we think about these four, we have to remember that there would be some unanswered questions. They, they lift, left all their nets, and they're like, I'm all in, but who is this dude, right? That's the first question. And then what does it actually mean to follow him? And the book of Mark is going to reveal over and over again what does it mean to actually follow him. And it's going to start from zero to 100. And we're going to see this because we're going to dig in this. But this is one of the first days or first weeks on the job. And if you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, you are going to see some ninja stuff like the dude, like my farmer with two machetes cutting Christmas trees, okay? Because he's going to step in there and they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to see Jesus doing Jesus things, Mark 1, 21. They left Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The four disciples, they get to experience this normal Sabbath day, okay? So the disciples are in, uh, in this town, and it's an important town. It, it, it's a center for custom and, and a location of a tax office for the Romans. And so there's a lot of hustle and bustle that's happening right here. And so they go on the Sabbath, and they go into the synagogue, and we see this. It's a typical day. Nothing weird to look at here, okay? Jesus attended the regular worship service, and, and there seems to be that the leaders of the synagogue, give, it's not like, a, not like an overtaking, there seems to be he's invited up to teach. And so Jesus is teaching, and what we see is that something significant is happening. All of a sudden, Jesus is doing Jesus things. He begins the day by teaching, and there's a marked difference in Jesus' teaching. Jesus, the person we follow, one, has authority in his teaching. It says the hearers were amazed. Uh, this expression means literally that their senses were, uh, they were struck out of their senses. They, they were mind blown. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. This would have been much different than what you're hearing me talk about right now. If Jesus was teaching, it would have been different what was happening. They're astounded. And it's not the manner of which Jesus was teaching. It was that, but it was also uh, the content and how he was preaching and how it was coming out of him. Now, when you look at this, he taught with direct authority. And the people in the synagogue were used to teaching, but they were used to these dudes coming up, much like me, coming up, and they were basically just sharing what people previously had already shared. They, they were taking the word and they were sharing what they had already known. And what we see is that Jesus was different. There was an authority to him. Now, the word authority is really interesting here because in the context, it's that Jesus was teaching out of his being, out of his being. He taught not by simply quoting sources, but Jesus was teaching with legitimacy. There was power in the way that Jesus was teaching, all right? But there was also sovereignty and the way that Jesus was teaching. He was teaching about himself, right? And we see this. And not only do we see that there was authority in it, but in a moment, what happens is there's authority in his identity. Jesus is up teaching, and he has authority in his teaching, but then we're going to see the next thing that happens. There's authority 
in Jesus' identity. Mark, uh, Mark 1, 23-24. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Disciples sitting there. And all of a sudden, it's like, this is getting real. We're double macheting it on this Christmas tree right now. Jesus, his authority has awakened something within this place, right? And what we understand, the presence of Jesus and his authoritative teaching provoke a strong outburst from a man who's under control from an evil spirit. And the demon spoke through the man who cried out, what do you want from us? What do you want with us? These words would have translated this Hebrew idiom, and it would have been this. Look, there is an incompatibility of two opposing forces that are happening right now. That's what it's saying. This shout out of the demon is these two things cannot exist together. These two forces, the demonic and God, they cannot coexist in the same room. Something has to budge. Now, as we look at this, think about this man. This man is under evil spirits. This man is separated from the religious community, right? He would not have allowed to be in, right? But Jesus is in there, and we see this. It's significant. The effects of having an unclean spirit was to separate a person from the worshiping community. And so when he enters the room, the unclean spirit and the Spirit of God cannot coexist. So we see this. And again, remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. But we, we talked about this. John preached it and Jesus pe preached it. And this is important for us to understand. When Jesus enters, the kingdom of God enters. Okay? When Jesus enters, the kingdom of God enters. And the light of the world comes in and darkness and dark, the darkness of the world cannot exist within it. And when Jesus is present, it will always expose darkness. That's a rule, okay? When Jesus enters, there will always be an exposing of darkness. And here, time and time again, the Gospels, we see this. Satan was battling Jesus. And we see him trying to attack Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. We see his minions here, and we'll see his minions over and over again, the demons affecting and controlling and interacting with people. And at this moment, the disciples, like us, should have this, a cosmic awareness of what's going on. A cosmic awareness of what's going on. The demonic realm is active and interacting with the world. And what is it trying to do? It's trying to mess things up. And yet the kingdom of God, Jesus, when he enters in the form of Jesus, we get this. We have a power encounter. There's a power encounter that's happening right now. Jesus, the power of God, versus Satan, the power of this world. But these unclean spirits, they're the ones that call themselves out. That's what's amazing. They understand this. There's a couple things about the authority and the power of Jesus. One, the demonic spirit knows who he is. It calls him out by name. It's like Jesus of Nazareth. I know who you are. It calls out his identity. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. 
it's so interesting when you, when you study these things that the demon, in contrast to most people back in the day and today, the darkness knows what's up. The demonic understands the spiritual realm that's happening. Us, uh, us humans can completely ignore it, right? We can completely ignore it. But demons, they recognize Jesus' true character and identity as the Holy One of God. Number two, it, it knows its positioning. Notice it doesn't say, hey, you came to fight me. You know, you came to fight us. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, oh man, Jesus, you came to be mean to us. It did not say that. What does it say? It forcefully makes this declaration. You have come into this world to what? To destroy us. To ruin us. It's over. The pronoun us in both sentences shows this. The, the, the demon perceived that the significance of Jesus' presence was for all demonic forces in the whole world. They understood this, this moment that was happening. And Jesus is the ultimate threat and the ultimate uh, undoing of their power and the activity. The demonic knows this. They know him to be the Holy One of God, the one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they know where Jesus' authority comes from. And they also know this. They also know that it's over. They called it out before Jesus even calls it out. They know it's over. Mark 1, 25-28, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other. That's pretty... Uh, obvious statement. What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives order to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him quickly spread over the whole region of Galilee. I would imagine this happens in Lakewood. News is going to spread a little bit, right? And we see Jesus has authority in his power. Jesus has authority in his power. In a few direct words, Jesus sternly rebuked the evil spirit and ordered the demon to come out of the man. What do we see here? In an instant, Jesus can undo the damage of the enemy. In an instant, Jesus undoes, undoes the, 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 the damage that the enemy is trying to do. There is nothing that evil can do that Jesus hasn't undone. There is nothing that evil is going to try to do that Jesus did not undo on the cross. Can I get an amen? This is serious stuff here, people. We're not messing around today. And there's nothing that evil can do that Jesus did not overcome on the cross. And Jesus silences the spirit with a common formula. The simple words, be quiet. Be quiet. Be muzzled. Be silenced. It's over. The evil spirit, what does it do? He has to submit to Jesus' authority. Has to. The possessed man convulsed, and with a loud shriek, the unclean spirit leaves him, and Jesus doesn't accept the defenses of, the, of the, the, the demon. We see this. In power and authority, he overcomes evil. The power of Jesus in full display. And the people were what? The people were amazed. I would 
You're going to be amazed when you see this stuff. This is the God we serve. Now, what's interesting is this is the battle that we find ourselves in. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. I think this is an area that people dance around. The problem is, is that darkness starts to, to overtake, and we as Christians don't know what to do with it. Ephesians 6.12, you all know it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rule, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what's happening. And Jesus is just saying, Paul's writing later, this is what it is all about. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. One of the challenges that we have as a Christian community, one of the problems we have in our families, one of the challenges we have in our communities, one of the jobs, challenges we have with our jobs is that we come at things with flesh and blood when that's not what we're battling. We're coming at it with flesh and blood and that's not what we're battling. There is a spiritual darkness and there is a spiritual light that's happening. There's unseen realms that are happening right now in every aspect of our lives. And what we do is we come at it with flesh and blood. If we just take one more class, we'll get it figured out. If we just read this one more thing, we'll get it figured out. And what's happening on the cosmic level, and Jesus said it, is that, listen, when Jesus enters the room, it's over. And we have to understand the spiritual battle that's happening. And on the first days, on the first kind of weeks that they're walking with Jesus, the disciples are like, yo, what is going on? Let's read on, Mark 1, 29-34. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Same day, according to Mark, they leave the synagogue and they find Peter, Simon's mother-in-law, is sick. And the report is not so good, it seems, because at once he goes, right? So it must have been serious in some capacity. And we see something significant happening here. The disciples are now going to see that Jesus' authority goes extends from healing in the realm of the spirit to healing in the realm of the body. And Jesus, through just a touch, heals her. And the sick person was at risk. And we see this, that there was spiritual uncleanliness. There was touching a woman. There was all this kind of stuff that Jesus went around. And he broke through the barrier, and he, and he touched him. And by his touch, he's healed. Now, what's happening here? It's saying he's not the scribes. He's not going through the motions. The scribes understand the word. The scribes understand the law. They're, they're teaching as best they can. But Jesus is coming, and in his authority... In the spiritual realm with unclean spirits, and in the physical realm, he's doing this. He's showing his power and his authority. And the disciples who are figuring this all out, what do they see and what do we see? If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the spinning image of his Father. The Father's will is done through the works of his Son. And we get this full view of the power and the authority of Jesus. And the news spreads rapidly. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all that the demon possessed. There we go. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many. 
Then Saalba healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's evening now, same day according to Mark. And what we see is evening at sunset, sundown, we're past the Sabbath now. And the Sabbath is over, and the sick and the possessed can legally be carried to Jesus. And what we see is that the townspeople apparently brought them all. They brought them all, and so they're lined up at the door. And what we see is the term here literally means they kept carrying. They kept carrying, and they kept carrying, and they kept carrying, and they kept carrying. And people upon people, the whole town is there, and they had gathered at Simon's door. And in compassionate response to the human need, we see Jesus heals many, and he also dream, drives out many demons. And let's hear this. Jesus had a very full day. Jesus had a very full day. He was teaching the synagogue. He had a single exor exorcism. He had a single he healing. Then he had multiple healings. Then he had a few more exorcisms. And we find ourselves thinking this. Jesus is doing what Jesus is doing. Jesus does what Jesus does. But then we find this. Mark 1, 35-39. Very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. When he prayed, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! And Jesus replied this, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach this there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. This is crazy. We see Jesus shows a right balance in two places here. And I'm going to point out both places. Despite a full day of ministry, Jesus got up super early and he ninja moved his way through the town to go to a wilderness, right? To go to the wilderness, to go to a solitary place. He had to ninja move himself out of there because obviously it was people upon people upon people. Somehow, uh, most commentaries say like before 4 a.m., he's booking out of there. And, and we see this. He spends time praying. Now, this is interesting. If anybody knows me, it's, you're going to know this about me. My adrenaline runs at 100 all the time. If that was Jesus after that busy day, my adrenaline would be running at 1,000, right? You'd be on a high. Jesus doesn't get on that high. Jesus instead does this. He enters into a solitary place. And what does he do? He goes to a solitary place to pray. Jesus right-sizes our expectations by this. Jesus knows the source of his authority and the source of his power, and it springs from a dependence upon God. Jesus is going to a remote place to build a relationship with the Father. This is an important note for all of us. The way of Jesus, if we, if we want to do this, Jesus did this, we must do this too. And here's the trouble, church. We come up against uh, darkness. We do. We come up against evil spirits. We do. And you and I have been called to help the undoing of the enemy just like Jesus. But we as the church today... Part of the challenge is that we yield, all right, hear me say this, we yield ground to the enemy at every turn. You and I are called 
to help the undoing of the enemy, just like Jesus did. But what happens with, instead of praying and faithfully being in a deep relationship with the Father, we fill our churches and we fill our lives with this, with bitterness and gossip and fearfulness and foolishness against our brothers and our sisters. We do. It's what's happening. But there's something else is happening. Because stuff's happening to our family, and to our neighborhoods, and to our communities. Darkness invades, and we say, God, get us out of this. God, take care of this. God, minister to them. God, minister to us. And then we need something, and we turn like half-hearted back to God. And like a genie in the bottle, we kind of rub it, and then it doesn't happen. And we just go, well, God doesn't do that anymore. It's a real challenge that we have. But God's doing something today. Because God is the same God, right? God's a, lo- God's a God of mercy. God's a God of grace. And God's a God of, of love. He's given us authority to do the works of Jesus, who prophesied that we were going to do these things. But we have to come to grips with the idea that at the same time we're disobedient people. And in some ways we become anemic Christians, asleep at the post of the darkness, the power of the world that's doing works in people. And we see it. But we see that Jesus, that he goes face to face with the works of the enemy, and he does this out of his authority and his power, and the authority and the power only comes from God. It's not man versus demons. We will lose. That's the problem. It's God's power versus evil. And Jesus puts it on display. And Jesus puts it on display. And we see the second way that Jesus sets sets into balance. These poor disciples. The crowds are coming. And they're bringing people after people. They're on top of each other. And it says this. Simon and the others literally go to hunt him down. That's the translation. They got to hunt him down. They have no idea where he is. You know, all these people are lined up at the door. They're like, don't worry, I'll go wake up Jesus. And they go to find Jesus, and he's like, whoa, there's no one here. So they have to go hunt him down. And they say this, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus sets things right. Jesus replies and showed them that they too did not understand him or his mission. To preach is why he has come. His purpose is to proclaim the good news. Ultimately, his purpose is to proclaim the good news and to confront people and to demand them of this. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Jesus was not a wonder worker. It wasn't like he was some sorcerer that like could heal things and fix things and call out demons. That's not what it was. He could do this, but his, his, he was here to proclaim the message of freedom and salvation to all people. And Jesus performed miracles not to impress people with his power, but to authenticate his message. To authenticate his message. He knew what people needed at the right time. He knew what he needed to show at the right time. He knew how to authenticate his message. And you see that. There's some things in our lives. I, trust me, I know. There's areas in my life and people in my life that I've wanted to see healed that I haven't. It's it's hard. There's evil that gets pressed back that seems like it's too insurmountable, right? 
But Jesus wants us to proclaim this. There is freedom and there is salvation to those who repent and believe. What we see as we read these stories, we'll be like, man, this is too far-fetched. Again, it's like your first day of your job, and you're like, yo, I can't see myself doing any of this stuff. There's no way I could ever do this. But what do we see with the early church? In the early days, the disciples would be flooded with opportunities to participate in God's work. I believe today that we are flooded with opportunities to be a part of God's work. I, uh, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was uh, just be praying. My, my best friend and my, um, my roommate in college, he, his mom got T-boned in Kentucky uh, last night, late, late last night. And um, stable but critical and broke what my buddy said seems like every bone in her body. And, uh, and the goal is to get her to walk. I mean, I think she has eight surgeries in the next two days. And we were, he's like, what are you, you know, he's like, hey, keep me awake as I drive down because I don't know stuff. And so we talked for like an hour and he said, oh, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I was like, well, let's talk about this. That's a good conversation. There's always opportunities, though. He, my buddy's a, a teacher back home. And not only is he a teacher, but he's a teacher um, in like an alternative school. So people coming out of juvenile detention or, or different areas. And, and he, said, he said, Kurt, I, I, I hear you, but how do I call out, how do I call out evil? Because I, I can't say certain things. And I said, bro, anytime that you're proclaiming a truth about a kid that they don't see that God sees, you're operating the prophetic. You can say it on your breath in Jesus' name. You don't have to share it. I understand. But when you're calling out a truth about a kid, when we're calling out truth about anyone, we're pushing back on evil. When a friend calls you and they're saying lies that are deceiving them or deception or they're, they're just straight lies that they're believing that the enemy clearly has on them, we call that out. There's nothing weird. There's nothing strange. You're calling out, you're helping people align their will to God's will. And what we see is that when we say repent and believe, and when we show authority and power in Jesus' name, evil can't exist within that. When we show up, the Holy Spirit is in us, and evil can't exist within, uh, within that moment. And what we see is this early church has the same opportunities that we have. We're just completely missing them. But we also see this, Acts 2, 42. Don't get comfortable in your seats. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These ragtag group of ordinary people found themselves right in the middle of something extraordinary. We are a ragtag group of people who, even though we feel like it's 2,000 years later, we are in the middle of something extraordinary if we just begin to see it in the spiritual realm. And they prayed and they received power. And because their lives were transformed, they did, they did perform miracles. And the good news spread and the gospel was shared and thousands upon thousands of new disciples would be added to the church every week. We as a church could take a couple lessons from our founders. What are we focusing on? What are we busy doing? Are we steadfastly praying over every area of our lives? Are we steadfastly looking for God's direction in every area of our lives? 
Are we steadfastly praying against every stronghold of the enemy that God has revealed to us? Are we even asking the Lord to reveal to us any area that the, that the Satan has a stronghold in every area of our lives, in our personal lives, in our family's life, at work, with our kids, whatever it looks like, are we saying, Lord, reveal to us what you want? If we at Redeemed Church want to be about God's business, we have to push back on evil. And hear me say this, because I face myself with it. Here's one of the challenges with it. It's actually our choice. It's actually our choice. If we're going to push back evil with power, we must attend to the basics of prayer and the word and being in community continually. If we're in the Father's business of resisting the work of the evil one, he's trying to do it in our neighborhoods, in our family, in our coworkers, we have to. Guys, we can't just keep complaining about how dark the world's getting. I know, you know, we've had, I've had some good discussions with buddies of mine, and Brian and I have talked about this a lot. Like, is the world getting darker, or has it always been dark, and what's that, what do you look like that? What I know to be true, that the evil one is doing everything he can to mess things up. To mess things up. And there is a spiritual reality to the things that we do. I'll share this story. Homelessness around here. Homelessness around here. Uh, as we've got this building, we've had to deal with uh, challenges in, the, in this community. We, we have. It's great. It's been fun. Trust me. There, if you work in an area where you are surrounded with people who are down on their luck, there are people who are down on their luck, right? And there's people that have an evil, uh, uh, you could tell that there's, there's um, a, a demonic presence to what they're trying to do. And you, you feel it. If you work with people, you can feel it. And I've had to in my own life, I've had to in my own life as we deal with these things, we, if you are in this ministry, I know Rabbi Brent does a lot with homelessness, you know this. There are moments where you got that feeling, you got to keep your head on the swivel. And in those moments, are we able to say, the authority and the power of Jesus, I'm covered by the blood, and there's nothing that's going to happen, and we push back on evil because it's not going to, we have to change things. Does that make sense? We come with compassion, we come with love, but at the same time, we come with awareness of, this, of, the, of the spiritual realm of darkness that's happening. I, I, uh, I didn't ask him, I feel bad. I'm going I'm to share it, but uh, m my little buddy, my oldest, Jeremiah, he's coming into his own. Ten years old. Ten years old is a really difficult thing I'm learning. Ten years old is difficult because of this. You're talking to both a child and an adult at the same time. <laughs> like, oh man, you got reason and you can actually argue with me back. But at the same time, you're a child. And Megan and I were having one of these discussions. And, and it's one of those discussions that you're just like, wow, this is not going well. And this is not moving any area that it needs to move. And, and I realized in that moment, and I, I want to share this because I think this is a real practical thing. Do I expect all of a sudden that we're going to be casting out demons in this church all over the place? No. I don't. I think when it comes, evil comes in this place, we need to be ready and we need to prepare. Because we're a growing church. And so Satan is going to be pushing back on us. But my, my little buddy is saying these lies that he's believed about himself. And, and Satan is just like, yeah, that's true. He's not doing much. I could tell that. Yeah, that's true. 
And so we're in this perpetual, you know what I'm talking about, circle of like, oh my goodness, how are we ever going to get out of this? And I stopped. I said, we're going to pray. I said, in Jesus' name, any scheme of the enemy in this conversation is bound up and removed. It's over. It's done. You know what happened? We talked for like another half an hour, but all of a sudden the consonant changed. There, there, was, there, was, there was able to have discussion. Those lies that he could not get through and those things that even Meg and I needed bound up in our hearts of lies that we were telling about ourselves, about parents, were bound up. And we were able to move forward as a family. One of the challenges with family in particular, and I want to look everyone in the eyes, we are, we are uh, we're in a place where everyone in family has an area where darkness is invading into their family in some capacity. And we are still fighting with flesh and blood. Still fighting with flesh and blood. But there's, there's, there's this spiritual realm that's happening in the demonic. That the evil one is just trying to deceive and to lie and to, and to just say, this is what's true and that's not true. And Jesus is saying in the authority and power, we can move past it. That's all I'm trying to say. In this city, in your neighborhoods, there are people in captivity and snarled by the world, tempted in their flesh, and bound up. It's true. And just like Jesus, we call out darkness. We call it out with power and authority. But we have to commit ourselves to prayer and to be in relationship with the Father. Jesus, after a busy day, what did he do? He knew where his source of his power and authority came. And he went and he got in deeper relationship with the Father. But guys, this is going to be mission critical to us. We've talked about it. We've been talking about what does it mean to be a healthy spirit-led church. And in that, there will be opportunities. There will be times where darkness comes and tries to invade. And we, as a Christian community, like the early believers, if we commit ourselves to prayer, to the word, and to community, we'll be able to resist anything that comes our way. And I promise you that when you see people who are so entrapped by the lies of the enemy, get freedom, it changes everything to our Christian community. Does that make sense? Changes everything. And it's so easy for us to go through the motions, to say, we're going to figure this out ourselves. And what you see is that Jesus didn't even do that, right? Go ahead and come up and, and play. All right, go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing our, our next song, our last song. I want to um, I want to this is this is a vulnerability moment maybe no one will raise their hand and that's fine but if there's anyone in here who um, has an area of their life where they um, they feel like Satan has been pushing back in their family or their friends or their co-workers or whatever that looks like just raise your hand and let's just uh, if you're around that person, I, awkwardly, I'm sorry, but this, uh, you can put your hand on them or if that's all right, ask them, but just pray for them. I'm going to let you guys pray just for a little bit.
Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we're bound up anything that Satan's trying to do. Any lie that he's saying right now, any area that he's pushing back in our lives, we say be quiet, gone in Jesus' name. In the authority of Jesus Christ, we pray that everything we bound up and that light would invade darkness. Lord, I pray for breakthrough for each person that's just been going through it because I know so many people have been going through it. And Lord, there's the world and there's the nature and all that stuff, but then there's also the spiritual realm of just things pushing back in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray for each believer here or that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to push back in darkness in every area of our lives because, Lord, you desire every person in this community who's in captivity, every person who's addicted to some drug or some, some other thing, some, every, everyone who doesn't yet know you, everyone whose eyes are blind, everyone whose hearts are hardened. Lord, you desire freedom for them. So, Lord, we pray right now for breakthrough in every aspect of our lives. Lord, as we sing this last song, Lord, will you remind us that it's by the power of God, through the name of Jesus, that darkness has to tremble, that darkness has to run, that they can't coexist, that there's a power struggle that's happening right now in the heavenly realms, and yet you have overcome on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.